And uh, I'm gonna have you turn to your Bibles to just one place this morning. Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, just one place I'm gonna have you to turn to this morning. We usually do two, uh, but it'll be easy this morning. Turn to John 12. John is the fourth book in the New Testament. It's the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So turn to John 12. If you're using a smart device, then click on John 12. We're gonna unpack a story in uh, that chapter here in just a moment. But we're finishing up the series entitled Live to Win. And we started off the series with the message called Live Free. And during that message, we've learned that God can and wants to set us free. God can and wants to set us free. And then we talked about live fearless, live fearless. And we learned during that message that God is with us and that God is for us. It's not enough to just know that God is with us. We need to understand and have a revelation that God is also for us. And then we talked about live unbroken. And during that message, we learned that Jesus loves and restores broken people. He loves and restores broken people. And today we want to talk about, you ready? Today we want to talk about live generous. Live generous. It's about the excitement that I expected off of a topic on generosity. Because right now you're kind of tuning me out and thinking, oh no, he's going to talk about money. Somebody said tithing, even worse, right? <laughs> Here's why this is so important. Here's why we all need to lean, lean in today. It's because generosity is the difference between a small life and a great life. If you want to know the difference between a small life, living a small, insignificant life, or a large, significant life, this is it. It's generosity. In fact, the anchor scripture that we've read throughout this series in John chapter 10, John 10, 10, spells it out very clearly. In fact, if you were to turn there, and you can do that because it's only a couple pages to your left, if you look at John 10, 10, our anchor verse, it's a contrasting verse where Jesus is contrasting himself and the enemy of our souls, Satan, the devil. And he begins by saying about the devil, first of all, that he's a thief. He comes to steal. Why? Because he's the opposite of generous. He's selfish. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, because I'm generous to give you life, and not just life. I don't just want you to survive. I want you to thrive. I want to give you life more abundantly. You want to know why? Because Jesus is a generous God. Somebody go ahead and take a moment and thank him and praise him because he's generous. And so that's why this message is so important. There's no hidden agenda. In fact, I purposely didn't wear sleeves today or a jacket so that you could see that I have nothing hidden up my sleeves. And I wanted to show off my tan. I'm a few shades darker and I like it. 
The little island boy's coming out. Come on, somebody. But Jesus is generous. And listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, as we grow in our relationship with him, the goal is not for us to become better versions of ourselves. That's not the goal. The goal is for us to be more like Jesus. And if Jesus is generous, then we want to be like Jesus. We want to learn how to live generous because generosity is the difference between a small life and a great life. And my heart for every person in this room and every person watching online and every person that calls Victory Christian Center home and our region and community is that we live and lead significant, great lives, making a difference with our lives, with our resources, and with our treasure for time and for eternity. Amen? If you agree, go ahead and put your hands together for just a moment. All right. Now, if you were to ask me, well, pastor, I know you're preaching our generosity, but are you generous? Sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm not. I'm still working on this too. I mean, I'm being serious. There are times where I am and there are times where I'm not. But here's the thing. This is a problem for all of us. It's a challenge for all of us. So I'm not better than you. We're working on this together because I want to come to the place where the Bible says to be generous on every occasion. Right now, I'm generous on some occasion. And so we're growing in this area. So we want to unpack this story found in John chapter 12. We're going to begin with verse 1 and read down through verse 6. John chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says, then six days before the Passover, the Passover being one of three major Jewish feasts that Jewish people would celebrate in Jerusalem, commemorating the exodus out of Egypt. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Bethany is a small town, um, very close to Jerusalem. And so since he was already going to be in Jerusalem, he stops at Bethany, where one of his friends, Lazarus, who was dead, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, and there they made him supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Three names we just uh, we saw there besides Jesus. You're talking about Martha, Lazarus, and Mary. All three are siblings. Martha and Mary are sisters, and their brother Lazarus, right? And so Mary... Um, she, she uh, pours this costly oil on the feet of Jesus. Verse 4, then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, a very legitimate question, watch this, verse 5, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. Now, a little bit of context. One day's wage in this time would be one denarii. Another gospel, as they're telling this story, uh, the way they phrase it is Judas said, they, they said that the cost of this perfume 
was a year's wages or a year's salary. Now think about that. What, whatever you make in a year, you know, for some it's 20,000, maybe 30,000. I think the median household income for this county, for, for our region is about 45-ish, something like that. So here's a fragrance that costs, let's say it's a $30,000 bottle of perfume. That's some good smelling stuff. Now, see, you may not know this about me, but I am a, I am a parfum connoisseur. Notice I didn't say cologne or perfume. There's no eau de tolle on this body. No, no. I like my fragrances. I've got a couple of addictions in my life, right? Coffee is one of them. The stronger and the darker, the better. Come on, somebody. And fragrances. I know a little bit about fragrances, right? So I'm, I'm beyond designer fragrances. Now I'm into what they call niche fragrances. Here's what I've learned about fragrances. I know, come on. I, I, I'm sorry to disappoint, especially the manly men in the room. I just like smelling good. I don't know. Whatever. So at least I don't stink. Um, so um, one of the most expensive fragrances that you can buy today is, is a, a fragrance line called Clive Christensen. If you Google it, don't do it now, do it later. Do it later. Buy your pastor a bottle, put it in the inbox, mail it to me. Just, it's one of the most expensive fragrances. There's another cologne house called Creed, one of my favorite cologne houses. And you can buy what they call a flacken, a bottle, about a thousand milliliters, which is just enough to last me a month, for the low, low price of $1,300. But it's a lot of cologne. It really is. Uh, it's, it's a big bottle, right? $30,000 for this bottle of cologne that she would pour out on the feet of Jesus. Where in the world? Why does Mary have a bottle of perfume? That's what I want to know. It was probably a dowry. It was probably something that she was saving for whenever that gentleman would make, uh, would make the offer of marriage, she would bring something of value uh, to that marriage. It was customary during that day. But Judas asked the question, why, why wouldn't, a legitimate question, a very legitimate question, why is she wasting with this extravagant act of generosity. Why is she wasting this, this fragrance on the feet of Jesus? Verse six says, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Now, when I read this, I thought of two questions. First question, easy. Why would Mary give such an extravagant gift, such a generous gift? Why would she do that? Number two, why would it get Judas so upset? Now, here's what I want you to see in this story. I want you to see that there are two hearts that are revealed in this story. Mary's heart's revealed, and it's revealed as a heart of generosity, and Judas's heart is revealed, and it's revealed as a selfish heart. But look at what reveals what's in their heart. You know what reveals what's in their heart? Giving. 
Giving revealed what was in the heart of Judas and what was in the heart of Mary. So let me tell you some things about generosity, three things that I'd love for you to write down if you're taking notes. And if you're not taking notes, write this down. Number one, I wanna talk for just a moment on the enemy of generosity. The enemy of generosity. Can you say that out loud with me? The enemy of generosity. So here it is. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. And I want you to catch this. Generosity, selfishness. Generosity begins with the letter G. God is generous. Selfishness begins with the letter Satan is selfish. And when you and I are born into this world, guess what? We are all born selfish. In fact, one of the very first words that little Junior or little Susie learns, I don't know why I always say Susie. If you've got a little girl named Susie, I'm not talking about your daughter. <laughs> but one of the first learns these cute little toddlers learn is the word mine, mine, mine. You know why? Because we're all born selfish. In fact, you know, your mom and dad, you're at home, you've got company over, and all of a sudden you hear that shrill, constant screaming in the other room by your little, cute, little kid, mine, mine, mine only to run into that other room to find them struggling with something, maybe an older sibling, and they're tugging at it, and she's screaming, mine, mine. And you walk in, and you just want it to stop. <laughs> Give her the toy. <laughs> but dad, this is mine. I don't care. She's got stuff that belongs to me too. Just give it to her. <laughs> Shut her up. But the truth is that we're all born selfish. That's why we must be born again. Because when we're born, we're born selfish. But when we're born again, we're born again generous. Why? Because generosity is one of the attributes and characteristics and nature of God. God is a generous God. And when you and I are born again, guess what? We take off the old nature and we put on his nature. Not a selfish nature, but a generous nature. Amen? Now, here's the process. In the same way that a little baby, when they're born, they have all of the potential in them to do what you and I can do as adults. They have the potential to walk, to speak, but they, they can't do it just yet. In that same way, when you're born again, you become, become a baby Christian. And what, what happens is as you grow is that you unlearn selfishness and you learn generosity. And as you mature as a follower of Jesus, you begin to take on the characteristics and the nature of the one who saved you, the one who called you, the one who healed you, the one who set you free. You're not working to become a better version of you. By God, he's making you into him. Amen? 
because that's what the world needs. The world doesn't need a better Juan Rivera. The world needs Jesus with skin on. The, the world needs me to be formed more into the likeness of the Son of God so that when I invade that world, they're not getting Juan. They're not even getting a good version of me. They're getting Jesus. Amen? And so the enemy of generosity is selfishness. In fact, God actually uses, God actually uses that word mine in the Bible. You know what in context, what context he uses it in? You know what God says, this is mine, don't touch it? The tithe. The tithe. God says in his word, the tithe is mine. Now, for some of you who don't know, because there may be some people here, you have no idea what the word tithe means. Well, since you don't know, let me tell you what it means. It means 25%. (laughs) That's what that word means. (laughs) Why why are y'all laughing? They're laughing because it's not, it doesn't mean 25%. It means 10%. Tithe means 10. And the tithe is 10% of our income that we give to the local church, that we bring back to God, and that's what God says, that belongs to him. That's what the tithe is. And God says, it's mine. Now, but why did Judas ask, why wasn't this sold and given to the poor? That is a legitimate question, right? I mean, think about it. Let, let, let's say you were celebrating our anniversary and an elder came up here and they knew that I like fragrances. Let's take this story, just like we read it. And an elder said, hey, church family, we bought Pastor Juan that most expensive bottle of cologne. And we just had Crystal up here talking about the city rescue mission. You know what some of us would be thinking? The same thing Judas thought. I would. I mean, that was nice. We love Pastor Juan and all, but my gosh, I'd rather feed the poor. Why wasn't this taken? Why did he ask that question? Why was he upset, listen, at Mary's extravagant generosity? You know why? Selfishness. Because we often use that phrase. I've used it. You've used it. We've often used that phrase. Why wouldn't they just sell that? Why do they have to have a house that big, a car that nice? Why do they have to have that? Why couldn't they just have something more simpler and give in to the poor or give it to me or help me out? We often use that phrase when we see, listen, the perceived extravagance of someone else. And you know what the definition of extravagance is? The one who has more than you. The house that you live in, not extravagant. But that neighborhood, that's extravagant. The car you drive, it's not extravagant, you drive it. But the the next model up, now that's extravagant. Isn't it interesting that we are better at knowing what other people should do with their stuff than we are at what we should do with ours? And we always want to point the finger to someone else so that we don't have to point to us. And as long as we're busy thinking what other people should be doing, it keeps us from looking inward to see if we're generous or selfish. The story said that he had a problem with her extravagant gift, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was selfish. 
The story says that Judas had the money box. Judas carried the offering bag. Judas carried the offering bag. Who made Judas in charge of the offering bag? Jesus. Jesus had 12 disciples. He had 12 key staff members, and Jesus had a traveling ministry, which means they had expenses. They had to eat, they had to stay at places, and so they had expenses, and people would give offerings. And so he made Judas in charge of the offerings. Now, another question. Did Jesus know that Judas was a thief? Yes. Why would Jesus give charge of the offering bag to the disciple that he knew had sticky fingers not to tempt him because the bible says that god tempts no man but god will test us in the areas of our vulnerability god will test us not for us to fail but so that we can pass Jesus gave Judas the money bag, even though he knew he had an issue with money because he wanted to give Judas the opportunity not to fail, but to succeed. And it was Judas's choice what he would do with the money bag. Can I tell you that every time you and I get paid, it's a test. It's a test. What's God testing? He's not testing your money. He's testing our hearts on whether or not we have a generous heart, an open heart, or a closed heart, a selfish heart. Every time my wife and I get paid, it's not only payday, it's test day. And God is testing our heart on whether or not we believe that he alone is our source, our provider, and we prove it by giving that which already belongs to him. It all belongs to him, but we tell him that through the tithe. Now, here's what's interesting. I know that we have no Judases here today or watching online. You're not Judas. We're one of the other 11. Because I don't think, now, if you, you can answer this, but don't answer by raising your hand. Answer it in your head. Is there anyone in this room that if this, money, if this bag was filled with money, we'd pass around? Is there anyone here that would reach in the offering bag and just pull out a 20 and stuff it in their pocket? Probably not. If you would, don't raise your hand. We've got undercover security all over this building. You don't know it, but we do. No one would do that. But let me ask you this. The same way I don't think anyone would take money out that doesn't belong to them. Is it possible that we keep offerings that belong in here and not put it where it belongs? That's a tough one, isn't it? It's really tough. I think it's the same thing, wouldn't it be? The enemy of generosity is selfishness. And if God wants to work anything out of your life and my life, it's the old nature of selfishness and work in our lives, the new nature of generosity. 
And what reveals what we have in our heart is giving. Here's point number two. I want to talk about the extravagance of generosity. The extravagance of generosity. Now, in the Bibles, if you read the scriptures, there are a number of moments uh, you see in the Bible where, where, people, where people give. Now, biblically speaking, just biblically speaking, there are three types of giving, biblically, three types of giving. Tithes, which is the beginning of biblical generosity, the tithe, 10% of our income coming back to God, coming to the church, to the storehouse, to the temple, Old and New Testament. Tithe, offerings, which is over and above the tithe, and then extravagant offerings. Some call that painful offerings. And so you see giving throughout the scriptures, um, but then peppered through the Bible, um, not in every place, but they're in there, are what we call extravagant offerings, right? You, you see in the Bible, for example, we, we see that God is a generous God because he gave the most extravagant gift of all when he gave us Jesus. When he looked throughout heaven and he, he looked for the, the most priceless, the most unique, the most amazing, majestic thing that he can give, he found his son Jesus ready as the lamb of God slain before the foundations of the earth and he gave us his son. God is generous. You look through the scriptures, we just read John 12, Mary gives a very extravagant gift, a $30,000 bottle of perfume. She breaks it wide open and spends every drop of it on the feet of Jesus. You look at David in the Old Testament, he gave in today's terms the equivalent of $16 billion in one offering, billion with a B. I love that because He's the leader of God's people, and he's the one giving that large offering. I love it. $16 billion he gives in one offering. You see another place in the New Testament where the Bible says a widow, watch this. We're talking about extravagant giving. A widow gave two mites. That's the equivalent in today's terms of two pennies. Now, notice that extravagant giving, extravagant generosity has very little to do with the amount that's given, and it has everything to do with the attitude or the heart behind the amount. Because David gave 16 billion, the widow gave two pennies, and both, the Bible says, are recorded as acts of extravagant generosity. If you read the story, the Bible literally says that as they were receiving the offering that day at the temple, Jesus was watching them. Pastor Jesus pulled up a chair in the front and he was watching as the offering bag was going by. And he saw the widow woman reach into her pocket and the Bible says she gave out of her need and she puts two pennies in and it catches him by attention. And he says that right there. That was power. That touched heaven. That touched my heart. Listen, that impressed me. Think about that. That our giving can impress a God whose streets are paved not with asphalt, not with blacktop. His streets are made of gold. 
Gold, the stuff you wear around your neck, the things around your finger. He says, that's, I mean, we've got so much of it, we just walk all over. It's part of our street. He's got 12 foundations in that new Jerusalem in heaven. It's 1,380 miles long just on one side. And those foundations are all made of precious stones. The gates of the city are so vast and so large. They're not made of wood. They are made of pearl. Can you give a gift that can impress that God? The answer is yes. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, the Bible says, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. What impresses God the most isn't the amount that you give him. It isn't what you give him. It's when you give him your heart. The reason that my wife and I give generously financially, the reason we can give stuff away is because it doesn't belong to us. I gave myself to Jesus a long time ago. So consequently, my money is not mine. My house is not mine. My car isn't mine. It belongs to him. Why? Because I belong to him and it impresses him when you and I lay our lives down as an offering to God and say my life is yours it's what we do from time to time we just had young people come back from the mission field this week one of our young ladies is coming back Wednesday from serving for a few months in El Salvador what are they what are they doing they're saying my life is God's That impresses God. Scriptures in the Old Testament tell us that God rejoices and sings over us, that he literally dances and celebrates over us with dancing and singing and twirling about because it's not the amount, it's the attitude. It's that that you give him your heart. And don't tell me that he has your heart if he doesn't have your stuff. More specifically, don't tell me he has your heart if he doesn't have your money, your wallet, your fragrant, costly perfume. Don't tell me he has your heart if he doesn't have your treasure. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So actually, when God gets our heart, he gets our treasure. In fact, I want to share these with you, and if you're not, even if you're not taking notes, I want for you to write this down, and there's a reason why I want you to write what I'm going to share with you down, and I'd love for all of us to do it. So go ahead and, and take, uh, if, if you've not been taking notes, the, the program has a connect card inside. On the back, it says sermon notes. Grab a pen or pencil. Write this down. If you don't have anything to write this down with, take out your smart device, open up the notes app, and just, just type it in there. I want to share with you, I I shared with you already the three levels of giving biblically. I want to share with you five levels of giving because I think it makes it easy for all of us, okay? This is a little bit newer. We've been been talking about this uh, as a team, you know, some of our leadership. What I'm sharing with you is, is, is still wet cement, but I wanted to put some words to the generosity journey here at Victory Christian Center so that, so that we could write it down and understand it. So write this down. Here, here's, here's five levels of giving. The first one is what we would call a casual contributor, a casual contributor. 
A casual contributor is someone that's new to their giving journey here at Victory Christian Center. They give, they give up, you know, they give an amount, a certain amount, uh, whenever they're here. Typically, this is a newer person, someone that's kind of just been around for a few weeks, maybe a couple of months, and whenever they do show up, they may push something in the offering. They're a casual contributor. You know what I have to say to the casual contributor? Thank you. Thank you for giving. When you do come, whatever the amount, you give something, we want to say thank you. The second level is what we would call a consistent giver, a consistent giver. A consistent giver is someone that's just a step above a casual contributor. They give a percentage of their income. Now, it's not the tithe. It's not 10%. They're not there yet, but they give a percentage. They, they've worked it into the, kind of their budget, their system to give 2%, 3%, 5%, 6%. And, and that's, where, that's, where, that's just where they are. To that person, if that's you here this morning, we want to say thank you for your giving. The next level is where biblically, biblical generosity begins. It's what we would call the committed tither. Notice the difference. Casual contributor, consistent giver. Level three is committed tither. Here's what you and I need to understand. Only five to 7% of Christians are at this level. That's a low percentage, not because they're above, but because they're more of a casual contributor or a consistent giver. Five to 7% of born again, church going, evangelical Christians are committed tither. Only five to 7% have actually begun biblical generosity. The rest, majority, are in the first two levels. If you're here and you're committed tither, and you are part of that five to 7%, now that percentage is not Victory Christian Center, that's Christianity at large, okay? But if you're a committed tither, I wanna say to you, thank you. Thank you. Here's what's exciting about reaching level three, being a committed tither. There's two more levels. You would say, well, why are there two more levels? Because tithing is not the goal. It is the beginning of biblical generosity. Well, what's next? What's next is what we would call a kingdom builder. Someone who gives over and above their tithe to do what? To build the kingdom of God. It's when we give over and above 10% to the church to give to the city rescue mission. Why? Because they're preaching the gospel to people who are in need. They're meeting that felt need, providing a roof over their head, food for their bellies, but they're also giving them the food that lasts forever, the bread of Jesus, who is eternal life. And so I want to also be a part of that. And I can when I'm a tither and I choose to also build the kingdom. A kingdom builder. They give over and above the tithe to things like missions locally, globally, the local church. And the number five, this one is exciting. It's the catalytic investor. This is where the extravagant offerings come in. These are those crazy, outlandish, painful offerings that you just sacrifice over. It's a sacrifice, but you know what? You're there. Here's the good news. If you reach level three, 
you'll reach level four and level five. Because level three, when you become a committed tither, that's where God says he'll open up a window in heaven and pour out blessings upon you that you do not have room enough to receive. That's where giving gets exciting. When we begin to partner with God and we declare that he's our source, our provider, and we place his spirit on our resources, watch out what God does when we give him all that belongs to us. Amen. Go ahead and give him praise for just a moment. Now, you wrote those down. You wrote those down. Casual contributor, consistent giver, committed tither, kingdom builder, catalytic investor. Here's why I wanted you to write them down, because I want you to see them. And listen, I want you to find yourself. Where are you on that journey of generosity? Where are you? No guilt, no shame. Just find yourself. I am here. And here's my challenge to you. My challenge to you is to look at that next level, wherever you are, and challenge yourself with God's help to say, I'm going to the next level. I'm taking my next step in generosity. I want to live a big life, not a small life. I want my life to be significant, not insignificant. And so I want to grow in my generosity. So I'm finding myself and I'm challenging myself to go to that next level. Listen, we talk, we sing songs about next level. We talk about next level. We pray about God take us to the next level. We make declarations about next level. And all that we're doing is say, God, you do some stuff. You do some miracles. You do it for me. You give me the breakthrough. And God is saying, I will, but can you go to the next level? Can you do some stuff? Can you do something that'll get my attention? And I see some faith and I see some heart and I see some attitudes that are wanting to change and grow. And so that's my challenge to you today. That's your next step today is to look at where you're at in the journey of generosity and determine to say, I want to grow in this area. You know where, I don't know where you are. You know where you are. I know where my wife and I are. And we want to grow in our, in our journey of generosity. Third, number three. I want to share with you the reward of generosity. The reward of generosity. The reward of generosity. Two questions I asked at the beginning of this message after we read John, John 12. And the questions were, why was Judas upset? Why was Judas upset at Mary's extravagant generosity? The answer is, it's because he was selfish. The second question was, what would make Mary give such an extravagant gift? And we're gonna give you the answer to that right now. In Mark chapter 14 and verse nine, there's a, it's, it's, Mark, it's Mark telling the same story we just read in John 12. And here's what Jesus said in Mark 14, 9. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done, Mary, pouring out this oil, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. What's Jesus talking about? Here's what Jesus is saying. 
when you preach the gospel that God has a son, his name is Jesus, and he is the Christ, the anointed one, the savior of the world. When you preach the good news of Jesus, I want, I want this, which this woman has done, I want it to be proclaimed as a memorial to her. That as a preacher, as a preacher that I have a hard time with that in my brain because what Jesus is, if I take him literally, every time I give an invitation to Jesus, I have to say, and by the way, there was a lady named Mary who broke a $30,000 bottle of perfume on Jesus's feet and washed his feet, his feet with her hair. And people are going to be looking at me saying, that's weird. What, what's he saying? Why did Mary do this? It's because we find Mary in John 12, John chapter 12, at the table with Jesus, her sister Martha was serving like she normally does, but there was someone else at that table in John 12. His name was Lazarus. Why is that significant? Because a chapter earlier in John chapter 11, Lazarus was not at the table. Lazarus was in the tomb. And when Jesus showed up in Bethany in John chapter 11, there wasn't feasting, there wasn't laughing, there wasn't extravagant offerings, there was weeping, there was mourning, there was crying, Mary coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, my brother is dead. You didn't show up on time. And Jesus would respond in John chapter 11 to Mary and to Martha. I'm Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he's dead, he shall live. In the name of Jesus Christ, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says that a figure came out of the tomb, wrapped in graves clothes, hopping out to see Mary and Martha. Who was it? It was Lazarus who was dead and is now alive. Why did Mary give such an extravagant gift? Because sitting at that table was her savior Jesus and her dead brother Lazarus. Her miracle was sitting at the table. And my heart, and, and see, that's why we give the way we do, is because once we were dead in trespasses and sin. I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you, if, if someone raised your dead, per, dead relative or loved one from the dead, let, let's, if someone cured your loved one who was diagnosed with a deadly disease, if they cured them, you would give anything for the cure. If, but if they cured them, if they healed them, you, th th what, what's the value on that? There's no value. There's no price you can pay on that. Well, Jesus raised me from the dead. Jesus, sitting at my dinner table every day is a wife that Jesus raised from the dead, took her out of her tomb. There are kids sitting at the table that Jesus raised from the dead. Are you kidding me? You think I'm going to withhold anything? You think that I'm just going to do a little spray sample of my fragrance oil on Jesus? No, I'm going to the top shelf of my life. I'm grabbing the most expensive bottle. I'm breaking it open. Nothing left over. Nothing missing. I'm pouring it all on Jesus. What would it look like if a church decided? What would it look like if Victory Christian Center stopped spraying God with samples? 
top shelf stuff. You don't get that, Jesus. We'll give you this, you know, we'll give you the, if you work there, I'm sorry. We'll give you the family dollar fragrance. The $5 knockoff of the knockoff of the knockoff. Why would Mary do this? What would make us as a church take families and individuals on that level of generosity? What would it look like? What would it look like? Vicki, what would it look like if the majority of us became kingdom builders and catalytic investors? You know what that means? That means we've got to raise some people from the dead. That means we, we've, we've got to see some people that are bound and dead in addiction and drug abuse because when your son and daughter get set free from the bondage of addictions and Jesus grabs a hold of your heart, there's nothing that you'll withhold. Nothing. But, but, but here's, I'm, I still have a dilemma. I still have a problem with this because Jesus said, I want you to tell her story every time you preach the gospel. Why? Mary didn't know this. But Jesus did. Jesus knew that six days from that meal would be the Passover. And he knew that he was the Passover lamb that would be slain, whose blood will save men and women of their sins. Jesus knew that he will be crucified, buried, and rise again. Jesus also knew that to do that, he needed to be anointed. And he knew that when he died, there would be no time for him to be anointed. When you read the Bible, he dies on the cross. They take him down. It was a holiday, which means no work was to be done. So what did they do? They would normally take a body off of a cross, anoint them for barrier, prepare the body, and place it in the tomb. They didn't do that with Jesus. It was a holiday. So what did they do? They took his body off of the cross, and they placed him in the tomb because on Sunday morning, they were going to come back. That's why the woman showed up first, bringing spices an ointment to do what? To anoint his body. And when they show up, there was an empty tomb. Mary didn't know this. Mary didn't know that she was anointing the Savior to be anointed to be buried and to rise again to be the savior of the world. That when men and women throughout the history of mankind would cry out to Jesus because he was anointed to die and to rise again, that all they would need to do is say Jesus and he would save them from their sin. She didn't know he was anointing him so that you and I can know him, but Jesus did. That's why he said, when you preach the gospel, remember Mary. Let me say it another way. Some of you don't realize that 
The reason Brian is sitting up there today is because 12 years ago, somebody broke an expensive bottle of perfume and gave for this building. Someone gave an extravagant gift. And last year, Brian came in broken. And Brian's sitting up there, not because he's in timeout. <laughs> he's serving. He's serving. He's a big dude. And if anybody gets any fancy ideas to try to come up here and tackle me, first of all, you got to deal with me. <laughs> and secondly, you got to deal with big, beefy Brian. He's serving. He's serving. I remember the first time I met Brian. He came at an invitation of a friend. And it was the friend's church. It was his church. It wasn't your church. You came, and now this is your church. You know why you're here? Because there's somebody in this room that gave. They gave sacrificially. They gave, and it hurt. And I can go around the room pointing out people that in 2018 and 2019, listen, all of us are here. I'm here because someone gave. I'm here because someone gave for there to be a church in Midtown Manhattan where my dad heard the gospel for the first time. And everywhere you preach the gospel, tell them about the sacrifice that has been made by people so that you and I can have the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus again. You and I are here because someone gave. And listen, we've got a world to reach. We've got a region to reach. And it's not going to happen through a selfish church. It's not going to happen with a church that has its hand and its heart closed. It's only going to happen with a church that is living generous, that, that God has their heart. They love Jesus so much that they, he has he has our everything and we live life generously we live life with an open hand an open heart you know what the reward of generosity is it's not more money the reward of generosity is not a bigger house it's not a nicer car the reward of generosity is him God will bless you with that stuff. Those are blessings. But the reward, you mean God's a rewarder? Yes, he is. Read the book of Hebrews. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He becomes our reward. A number of years ago, and I'll end with this story. We'll close. A number of years ago, my wife and I, we committed one year, that specific year, to be a kingdom builder. We've, we've been tithers since we were teenagers. We tithe since we were teenagers. So we were already committed tithers, but we decided this year we're gonna be a kingdom builder. Every week, we're gonna give over and above our tithe to missions, a significant amount. In fact, it was so significant that it was not uncommon for us to sit down and do bills, and, and, and every now and then it would be a little bit tough. It would be a little bit hard. Anyone know, know what I'm talking about? It, it would just, you know, it was just, it was tight. But we did it faithfully. One week, one week we sat down and my wife looked at me very intently and said, honey, we've got two options this week. We can give to missions or we can put food on the table for us and the girls. 
And I wanted to be the man of faith. And I said, well, we're gonna, we, we've got to give to missions. God will prove himself. He'll show up. And she got my attention. And she held my hand and she said, honey, we've got two options. We can give to missions or we can put food on the table for us and the girls. And I got it. We're touching the tithe. We never touch that. That goes immediately back to God. But missions was a little bit different. And we knew that God's heart for us is to provide for our family. And we knew that he was our provider. And so here's what we decided to do was, we said, here's what we'll do. We'll write out the check for missions, but we won't send it in. We'll write it out by faith, set it to the side. This is on a Thursday. We'll set it to the side. And on Sunday, when we go to church, let's believe God that by Sunday, we'll have the money in hand for that check to be good. And so that's what we prayed. God, we're going to take the missions dollars that we've committed, and we're sorry, but we need it to take care of our family. But we're writing out a check by faith, believing that you will bring to, will somehow be able to make this check good by Sunday. So that's what we decided. Sunday shows up. I completely forget about that whole conversation we had on Thursday. After church on Sunday, my wife reminds me. And I'm in my office at the church building, and I remember putting my head down, feeling so disappointed. I was disappointed in God, and I was disappointed in me. I'm like, Juan, you forgot. Like you, weren't, like, you weren't believing God every day for this. And then I'm also thinking, but God, like, do I have to remind you? Like, I told you once. Like, you know, like, you let me down. Like, I was believing you for this. And I remember going home and just feeling just kind of, you know, just down. And, and I'm going on a trip that week, and I'm cleaning out my car. I'm cleaning out my car, and the middle council of my car... I didn't know that there was a, that the bucket in the council came out. And so I took it out and I started cleaning what was underneath the council. And I reached down and I found a piece of paper and I pulled it out. It was a $5 bill. You know what I thought, right? Starbucks. That's literally what I thought. That's who it is. Starbucks. I got Starbucks money. And I reach down again and I feel something a little bit thicker. I pull it out. It's a bank envelope with cash in it. And I'm thinking, what? Where? What is this from? And I remember that a year ago, a year prior to that, we were on vacation and I lost our spending cash for vacation. I didn't lose it. It fell in the hole underneath the bucket of my council. And I found it a year later. And I opened up the envelope and I counted how much money was in the envelope. And it was exactly to the dollar, twice the amount of our missions pledge for the week. I ran inside the house and I said, honey, we got our missions offering because we had church back then. We had church Sunday night. So we, we still had time to go back to church and give the missions check. Honey, uh, we've got our missions money, but we also we have double. We also have enough to, we have more than enough for what we got to do. Now, now, now listen, what's the reward? The reward was not finding money. 
the, the reward was the experience that God is our provider, that, that God does miracles. The reward is sitting before our children and telling them, let me tell you a story of God's faithfulness to your mom and dad. The reward is what, my, what, I, what I overheard my youngest daughter ask my oldest daughter yesterday. She's 12 years old and she asked her older sister, she said, what's, what's 10% of $11? Now, now, besides the point that she needs, she needs a math tutor. <laughs> besides that, she had babysat and got $11, and she wanted to know how much belongs to God. That's the reward. And that little 12-year-old heart, the reason that 10% of $11 means nothing to her is because God's touched her heart. And when God touches your heart, sir, ma'am, you want to give him everything. You want to take that cost, you want to take that which costs, which, which costs you everything and you want to break it at the feet of Jesus so that he could be anointed, so that the gospel can be of effect so that the story of Jesus can be told over and over and over again so that dead men and women can be called to life. Victory Christian Center, where God is taking us, we cannot go selfish. We must go generous or we will fail on the assignment of God's, of God's on God that God has for us as a church. We must be all in. We must go from being a casual contributor to being a consistent giver and from a consistent giver to a committed tither and from a committed tither to a kingdom builder and from a kingdom builder to a catalytic investor. We must grow in generosity because it's not only the difference between your life and my life being big or small, but it's the difference between people meeting Jesus. Heard a pastor once say, and I agree, this whole tithing issue, this whole tithing thing, it's not a matter of heaven and hell. It's not like you go to hell if you don't tithe. No, 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 no. It's not a matter of heaven and hell for us. We're followers of Jesus. But I thought about that and I thought, but is it for somebody? Maybe not for me. I could withhold my tithe and, and probably still make it to heaven. But is it a matter of heaven or hell for someone else? See, Mary could have withhold. She could have withheld that extravagant offering. Lazarus would have still been healed. But Jesus would not have been anointed to do what he came to do. Let's stand to our feet together. Hallelujah. Sorry, I'm a mess up here. Do y'all feel that this morning? Did anything I say make sense today? <laughs>
love for my wife to come and our prayer team to come as well. And as our prayer team is coming with everyone's attention, we're closing. I know we're, we're five minutes over uh, and I apologize. We, out of respect to our, our kids workers and, and all that, we, we like to get you out on time because we don't want people just rushing out. We want you to come and receive prayer. But listen, if you're here today, listen to me very clearly. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, Listen to me, listen. God is not after your money. Relax. He's after your heart. He's after your heart. And if you're here today and you've never given your heart, your life to Jesus, that's something you do this morning. That's something that you don't leave here without doing that. And so this is how you can do it. In just a moment, we're going to invite people to come and receive prayer for any reason. You don't know why they're coming down to receive prayer. It doesn't matter. Because the truth is that all of us need prayer. I need prayer. You need prayer. But especially if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, your heart to Jesus, you do that this morning. You, you come and you follow all those others that are coming up for prayer. And when you come up here, you tell somebody on this prayer team, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I promise you nothing weird will happen. They'll just lead you in a very simple yet powerful prayer that will transform your life. And they'll place some resources in your hand to help you take your next steps. And so we're going to do that in just a moment. We're going to bless you. And at the end of the blessing, if you need prayer for any reason, we want you to come and receive prayer. You don't have to be a member of Victory to receive prayer. All right? You don't have to be a bad person to receive prayer. We all need prayer. I need prayer. You need prayer. So if you need prayer for any reason, at the end of this blessing, you come out of your seat and you come. And if some of our prayer team can move over, we're a little bit light on this side. If we can even it out just a little bit. Thank you. Keep your eyes open as we bless you today. Friends and family of Victory Christian Center, I bless you. I bless you to live free, knowing that God can and wants to set you free. I bless you to live fearless, knowing that God is with you and is for you. I bless you to live unbroken, knowing that God loves and restores broken people and the broken areas of our lives. And I bless you today to live generous, that God would grow in you a generous heart that is grateful and thankful, that you would see around your table miracles, miracles in marriages, miracles in children, miracles of healing, miracles of bondages and addictions being broken miracles of salvation and that that would create such a heart of gratefulness that it also spurs a heart of generosity and I bless you Victory Christian Center to move into your prophetic future now that you would move forward into the assignment on your life to build the kingdom of God and not of man 
that your reach would touch this region, that your generosity would go beyond this region and touch the world, that many would come to Jesus around the world and in our community because of your generosity. I bless you in every area of your life and for you to leave here today to challenge everyday people to experience every victory in Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. Come on, if you need prayer for any reason, we want to pray for you. Just come.